0: This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. David and Shaul, King Saul and King David. And uh, hopefully we'll, I don't know, rush. It's a nice story. It's a a bit of a a scary story for David HaMelech, who's on the run all his life pretty much up to now. King Saul is, is eagerly trying to kill him, unfortunately. Um, And last week we discussed how David ran to the city of Kohanim, Nov, Nov Ir Kohanim, the city of Kohanim, and there was a guy, a tattletale, classic tattletale in the Chumash, in the Tanakh, is the guy called Doeg Haedomi, Doeg Haedomi, the rabbis say was a great rabbi, he was the head of the Sanhedrin, and he was also a big tale bearer, he was a gossip, and he caused tremendous trouble for David, Number one is claiming David was not fit to be a king as a descendant of Ruth, who was a Moabite. And number two is he followed David to the city of Nob, the era Kohanim, and he saw the Kohanim helping David. He saw the Kohanim helping King David, and he goes back to Saul and says, the Kohanim are rebelling against you, they helped your, your enemy David. Obviously the Kohanim didn't know that David was considered an enemy of Shaul. As far as they knew, he was a general of the Israeli army on a special mission. That's what David told them. And they helped David. Anyway, this tailbearer goes back and he tells Shaul, King Saul, and Saul says, kill the city, destroy the city of Kohanim. of no terrible, terrible crime Where Saul was guilty of ordering destruction of the city of Kohanim, all the innocent people. I don't know how many people exactly, but enough is enough. And uh, unfortunately, but for, good for him, for David, one of the Koanim was the, the son of the high priest. His name was Achitub, uh, Ben Achitub, the son of the high priest Achitub, and his name was Eviatar. Eviatar ran away and he came to David with the Urim Tumim, which is the breastplate of the Koan Gadol, through which you can a- ask God questions. So you can ask God questions, so it's very helpful for. David, he has with him the priest, the survivor of the destruction of the city of Nov, Aviatar, who he makes his high priest. And he has with him the Urim Tumim, which God can answer David's question. So now he is fortunate he can tell a little bit of the future. He has God on his side, literally God on his side. He has the high priest with the Urim Tumim with the breastplate, with these uh, 12 beautiful jewels on the breastplate, with the names of the 12 tribes. And also the ability now to communicate with God through that breastplate, which had magical qualities. Well, I don't want to say magical. It wasn't magical. It was godly properties. Uh, You can get messages from God through the breastplate. The letters would light up on the breastplate. And now David has this breastplate with the high priest. And now David is running away from Shaul. And he sears the palishtima in a place called uh, Keilah, which is in the lowlands of Judah um today there's a new city they built not far away from the the old city which is obviously destroyed and uh, they uh it's a it's interesting to see on the map Keila and he fought with the Perishtim, and he captured all their uh, flocks and, and uh and he saved the jewish people in Keila so here he is in Keila with his form his new high priest Abiatar and who has the ephod with the Urim and And Sha'ul finds out that David is in Keilah, hold up in Keilah. And Sha'ul says, straight away, let's go. Let's take his 3,000 men, goes to capture David. And uh, David asks Hashem through the Urim tumim Thank God he has the Urim tumim He asks Hashem, he says, please Hashem, answer me. Will Sha'ul come to Keilah or not? And the breastplate says, yes, he's coming. And then he says, will the people of Keilah defend me or they hand me over to Sha'ul? And he gets the message, they will hand you over to Shaul. So David said, okay, thank you so much, I'm going. He runs away from Keilah, even though he saved them from the Philistines. There was no uh, a sign of appreciation for these men in Keilah of, of Judah, which was his, his tribe. They were scared of King Saul. And so therefore David runs away and he runs back into the desert, the desert of Judah, Midbar Zif, which is... Look on the map; it's right there in the deserts of Judah, boy. And he knows that Shaul is trying to chase him. Anyway, so uh, in the meantime, his best friend Jonathan comes to him for the last time. It's unfortunate; it's the last time Jonathan sees David. David sees Jonathan. He knows his father is trying to destroy David. He goes to meet his friend, and uh, and he tells him, Tirah, don't be scared, David." So here's Jonathan, I said, this is one of my heroes in Tanakh, Jonathan, the son of King Saul, Jonathan, the son of King Saul, who has had one of the most pure hearts in Tanakh, who was meant to be the next king after Saul, and he was willing to give up his kingship for David, who he knew was a better person, amazing, and he was willing to defend David against his own father, not defend him military but defend him psychologically against his father, telling his father, you know, David is innocent, leave him alone, doesn't help. So he comes to meet David and he says, my father will never meet you, will never catch you, and you will be the king over Israel. This is amazing. This is the son of the king of King Saul, Jonathan, telling David, don't worry, King David, you're going to be the next king, and I will be your second in command. I will be the viceroy. I will be second in command to you and my father Shaul even knows this so this is a little bit of uh, he got uh, first hand accounts coming from the house of Saul that Saul knows that uh, he's going to be the next king and he has his best friend Jonathan offering support that he will be second in command he's not going to fight him, he's not going to resent this, he's going to be a supporter of David, even if David becomes king, he'll be second in command But Kratush and Himberit and they made a covenant between them and uh, then Jonathan goes back to his house, and this is the last time, unfortunately, that David sees Yonatan, unfortunately, tragic. Two best friends, and they're pulled apart by this father who has paranoia about King David. And we said he has uh, some kind of mental disease we're going to talk about. Hashem put into him the spirit of depression, and every time he got depressed, he would get angry and, and upset about David. Okay, so David is running away and he uh, he's running away again, and he goes to different places, and the first time Shaul catches him is in the cave, we said, and uh, Shaul goes into the cave. He doesn't know David is hiding in the cave, and uh, David cuts part of Shaul's cloak, which is uh, later on we're going to see has a bearing on David being uh, cold when he gets old, but he worn himself with clothes. that wouldn't hit him up. But I might say because he had no... Uh, compassion on Shaul, he cut his coat and he shouldn't have cut the cloak of the king who was anointed by God and that's later on in his life clothes did not warm him up, he felt very cold so we're going to talk about that when David was uh, in 69 68, 69 um, that's the way Hashem punished him for cutting Shaul's cloak cutting King Saul's cloak anyway, he cuts the cloak Shaul goes out the cave, David comes out and he waves Shaul, Shaul, he says here, if I wanted to kill you, I could have killed you very easily today. You came into the cave and I was in the cave and I wanted, to... and I could have killed you. Instead, I cut your cloak. And Shaul says, my son, David, my son, David, oh, I love you. You're a better man than me, David. You're a better man than me. And <laughs> I'm not going to touch you. I'm not going to harm you anymore. And he goes back to his place and leaves David alone, not for very long. Because again, he goes through these phases, Shaul goes through these phases. Here he sees David as a better man than him, but nevertheless, it's not going to help much. It's going to help temporarily. So that's the end of that part of that story. And uh, David tells Shaul, Hashem should judge between us. I'm innocent and you're trying to kill me. And it doesn't help. Uh, Shaul says, yeah, you're right, they are a bigger sadiq than me. You did good for me and I did bad for you. But you have to know that that's it. I'm not going to chase it after you anymore. Again, fibs. This is lies from Sha'ul. It's not his fault. He's got this disease, as I said. He goes up and down, flipping backwards and forwards. And so what happens next is we're going to see is tragic. Is The king is left. Is the prophet who anointed him. Shmuel dies. Shmuel Hanavi dies. The rabbis say he prayed to God to take him away early. He didn't want to see the work of his hands. King Saul um, died and lose his kingship. So Hashem, he didn't want to do it, but Hashem, uh, old age, took up on Shmuel. That was a prayer. And Shmuel passed away, and all the people come. They come to um, eulogize Shaul. And uh, Sha'ul's dead. Okay, no, sorry. He comes to eulogize Shmuel. Samuel, the prophet, dies. They come, big eulogies. And uh, after that, David goes up north towards the Carmel. And he has a lot of men with him, 600 men, it says. And over there, there's a very rich man. His name is Naval HaKarmeli. Naval HaKarmeli, very rich man, with his wife, Abigail, who is one of the uh, beautiful women. The He says one of the beautiful women in the world. Abigail, the wife of Naval HaKarmeli. And David Melech is looking after Naval's sheep from the wolves, from the lions, from the predators, from the robbers. From the... And Naval doesn't appreciate it at all. Naval does not appreciate that his shepherds and his sheep are safe because David is looking after them. And David sends messages to Naval saying, now as a sheep shearing, you're going to be a multimillionaire. How about helping us, we helped you for free. How about helping us with some food, some provisions? And uh, Naval goes off on a rant against David, even though David was appointed his next king. And he goes off on a rant totally against David. And David decides he's going to get rid of this man, Naval Akarneli. However, when Abigail, the wife of Naval, hears about this, and she knows her husband's a skinflint, and she takes food and provisions and she goes to David and pacifies David and persuades David not to kill her husband. And then her husband is on her now he's, he's very wealthy. He made a lot of money through his sheep. And he gets very drunk. And his wife can't talk to him. He's very drunk. He's out of it. And that morning when he woke up from his drunken stupor, she tells him, by the way, you know, David wanted to kill you last night. And he oh, gets a shock. He gets a heart attack. And he's a stone. This guy, Naval, is a stone. Until finally he dies 10 days later. The rabbis say he died on Yom Kippur. He gets kapara, he gets some atonement for being rude to David. And David eventually ends up marrying Abigail, who is one of his wives. And uh, David is on the run. He runs now. Where is he going to run next? He runs away from Naval. He runs away with Abigail after Naval died. And uh, he also marries another woman called Achinoam. Achinoam is a beautiful name. Achinoam, most, the most pleasant. That's the most pleasant. That's a beautiful name, Achinoam. And he had another wife, Michal, which Shaul had taken away from him. Imagine, Shaul had taken away from David the daughter he promised him. In fact, David lived with her for a while. And then when David was on the run, Shaul takes away his daughter, Michal. He claims it was. Uh, a false kiddushin, a false wedding. was not a valid wedding. takes away his daughter Michal and he gives her to a boy called Palti ben Laish, who the Quran says was very big Sadiq. He put a sword between himself and Michal and refused to touch her. He knew Michal was David's wife. He lived with her for a couple of years and refused to touch her, thank God. Big Sadiq, imagined the uh, temptation, living with this beautiful woman Michal who Sha'ul the king, had promised to David and given to David and then taken away from David and given to Paldi ben La'ish. And eventually, when David becomes king, Paldi ben La'ish releases her and tells her to go to David. And he never touched her. He was a big tzaddik. Palti ben La'ish was one of the big tzaddikim. Well, again, one of my favorite personalities in Tanakh, we got Yonatan, Palti ben La'ish, and of course, uh, David, uh, the, one of our heroes. And uh, unfortunately, this is really a very depressing part of King Saul's life. We're going to talk about the end of Saul. Unfortunately, the tragic ending of King Saul this week. And we're going to discuss that a little bit. So David is on the run. And again, Shaul comes and he's chasing him. And the whole with his, with his uh, armor bearer, with his general Avner Ben-Ner. Avner ben was the general of King Saul, which we're going to see later on. Is buried today in Hebron, and you can go visit his grave. Hebron is uh, also Caleb ben Yifune is buried in Hebron. There's a couple of great uh, people buried in Hebron, apart from Abraham Yitzhak Yaakov and their wives. The four wives are buried in Hebron. But another famous person's grave over there to visit is Avner ben Ner, the general of King Saul, which we're going to talk about. Also was tragically killed in Hebron. Okay. We're going to talk about that later. Okay, so again, Shaul is running after David. Shaul is surrounded by his army. That's how they go to sleep. He sleeps in the camp. He's surrounded with his uh, general, Abner Benair right next to him. And all the, the, the soldiers, 3,000 soldiers of Shaul are camped around him. So Shaul is fast asleep. The whole camp is fast asleep. And David, they tell David, the men tell David, this is your chance to get rid of your... Your enemy, Shaul. And David says, Shalom, I should kill Shaul. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into the camp in the middle of the night. Everyone's sleeping. I'm going to take his spear and his water bottle. Uh, so he takes the spear, takes the water bottle. He goes up to the nearest mountain, obviously far away. And he starts screaming, Shaul, Shaul, Shaul. And uh, everyone in the camp wakes up. He says, benner, you are guilty. You did not. Protect your master, Shaul. Here I have his spear and I have his water bottle. And Shaul wakes up and he says, is that you, my son, David? Oh, that's <laughs> so so sweet, right? He's trying to kill him and he says, oh, my son, David, is that you? Oh, my blessed son, David. Ay, 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 ay. So he uh, it your voice, my son, David. And David says, yes, it's my voice, my master, my king. He says, why are you chasing me after me? What have I done to you in my hands? Do I have any evil towards you? And uh, uh, I could have killed you right now. I have here, I have your uh, your favorite uh, spear and your favorite water bottle, which I took. I could have killed you. You're fast asleep. And I didn't kill you. I spared your life. And again, Shaul says, David, I've sinned again, my son David. Uh, I will not come after you anymore. Again, if you believe that, you can believe anything. So this—that's the next case where David spares Shaul's life, and this is a real benefit for David later on that he does not touch the anointed one of God. This is very important. A person, even though the person is very bad, but he's anointed by God, not to touch him, not to harm him in any way, not to touch, not to harm the God's anointed one. So this is where David was successful. He did not touch Shaul, Baruch Hashem. He says, one day Shaul is going to die of old age. We're in a battle. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to do anything to hasten Shaul's death. This is a very great uh, character trait of David. And what does David do? He's desperate. He says, I'm going to run away to the Philistines. So the Philistines, Shaul's biggest enemy, he's not going to chase me over there. Uh, The first time he tried this, they recognized him and they wanted to kill him. And he pretended he was mad. That's how he got away the first time. But the second time he goes in, he speaks to the king Akish. He says, listen, I've had enough. I'm not longer on good terms with the king of Israel. I want to come and serve you instead. So he goes with his 600 men and his wife, his two wives. And he goes and he stays with the team for four months. And in the meantime, he is conquering the various tribes around, taking their cattle and giving it to the Philistines. And the Philistines think he's attacking Israel. He's not attacking Israel, he's attacking the other tribes in the south of Israel between Israel and Egypt, the desert tribes. He's taking their wealth and giving it to the Philistines to show that he is a loyal servant of King Achish. And uh, at the same time, the the Philistines go to uh, make a war on Israel. Okay, this is a very important part. This is the, the end of Shaul. This is the last battle with the Philistines. The Philistines are now making a battle with, um, with Saul and his men. A terrible, massive battle. And obviously David wants to help Saul, but he can't. He's now living with the British team. And the King Achish really trusts David. He wants him to be in the front with him. He's got, he wants it to be his personal troop. Imagine, imagine David being the personal troop of, of Achish the king of Philistines against Shaul? Obviously, Hashem did not plan it that way, and the Philistines start thinking, "Hey, it's not a good idea to have David with us. David's going to kill Goliath." And the other uh, ministers of the Philistines tell Achish, "Please send him away. He's dangerous. He could be um, he could be a traitor and take us, give us into the hands of." Shaul. So they sent him away, sent him back home to a Philistine town called Ziklag. Ziklag. Also, you can look it up. Uh, it's interesting. And David goes away with his 600 men and they don't know what happens in the army of Shaul. They don't know what happens. We're going to see. In the meantime, they go back home to Ziklag. In the meantime, while they had gone to fight Israel, the uh, Amalekites had come and taken captive all their wives and children and burnt the city of Ziklag. And there's a terrible, terrible scene. Everyone, all the all the men of David are crying, their wives, their children are all gone. Their city is destroyed and they want to kill David. Boy, they're so mad. And David says, quickly, bring me the, bring me the Urim Batumim, the breastplate of the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol, come bring me Eviatar, the Kohen, Gadol, and and let him answer the questions. What's going to happen? if I run after Amalek, should I run after them? The answer is yes. Hashem says, yes, run after them. Will I catch them? The answer is yes. Go run after them. You'll catch them. You'll bring everyone home. So David and his men, that's what they're busy in. They're running the other direction to catch, to bring back their families who were caught by the Amalekites and all their belongings were taken away by the Amalekites while Shaul and his men are fighting the Philistines for the last time. Unfortunately, so David does not know what's going on. He's running in the other direction, trying to get his wives and his children and his men's his, uh, wives and children and his uh, all his assets back from the Philistines. So David does not know what's going on with Shaul and the Philistines. So it's interesting. So he runs after them. He runs after the Malachites and as God had predicted, he catches, he catches up to them, gets back everyone, by that time, it's already too late to go and help Shaul. Shaul is vanquished. We're going we're gonna to talk about that. But first, there's a very strange episode in the Torah. It's a very strange episode in Tanakh. It's called the episode of Shaul and the Witch of Endor. The Witch of Endor, this is probably where... where uh, Shakespeare gets the idea of the witch of Endor, again, it's the same name in the book of Macbeth. He gets it from here, right here. He steals everything, steals even the name. So instead of King Macbeth, it's over here, King Saul. This is the original story. Shaul is desperate. Why? He cannot get any prophecies, he cannot get anyone to tell him. What God wants from him in this last battle. He knows his end is coming close. Shuel Hanavi had passed away, the only one he trusted to get prophecy from. He had no Urim Batumim because uh, Doeg had killed the people in Nov, the city of Kohanim, and the Urim Batumim were now in the hands of David through Eviatar, the son of the high priest, and who is now the new high priest. So Shaul has no way of getting in touch. With God directly to find out what will happen in this battle with the Philistines. He doesn't know what's happening. He has this dread something bad is going to happen. He doesn't know what's happened. So, what does he do? Now, it's interesting. It's very fascinating because one of the mitzvah given to the king of Israel is to get rid of all this black magic and voodoo stuff. It was very prevalent in those days. We have no idea how prevalent this was. But if you read uh, this week's parasha, last week's parasha, and the week before, You'll talk about It's Israel, the magicians of Egypt, all the magicians of Egypt. So, you know, Pharaoh had a whole phalanx of his advisors who were different kinds of magicians. We have no idea. You know, this is amazing. Uh, it's one of the things that, you know, today uh, people read this book. What's it called? It's uh, about magic and this and that. All uh, bunk, but it's based on these stories in the Torah of Egypt, especially of the magicians of Egypt, and they could do magic tricks as well. They could make the water turn to blood. They could uh, get frogs out of the ground. They could make the stick turn into snakes, but their abilities were unmatched. When uh, Moshe came along, they couldn't match the abilities of Moshe Rabbeinu. The power of God is much greater than any magic. The power of God is greater than any magic. The Raman says, we are not allowed to believe in magic. We're not allowed to practice magic. According to Rambam Maimonides, it's all bunk. It does not exist. It's part of idolatry, which is also bunk. And it's really all sleight of hand. So all magic, according to Rambam, is sleight of hand. However, Ramban Nachmanides says it did exist in those days. And he even says he saw some exhibits of magic in his day, in the 12th century, 13th century, CE. So we have a big discussion among the, the Jewish uh, philosophers. Ramon says it does not exist. It was all sleight of hand. Ramban says it does exist. We're not allowed to believe in it. Jews are not allowed to believe in magic. Anyway, one of the myths were given to a king was to get rid of magic, get rid of all these wizards which existed in Canaan, or the Jews took over. And the Jews are learning from the wizards and, uh, and these uh, fortune tellers and the witches. And Shaul was very, very successful in getting rid of all these people. Unfortunately, when his back was to the wall, he wanted to find someone to tell him what's going to happen. And there was no one around except for this one single woman who survived somehow, who he didn't catch. And he was forced to go to this woman to find out he was in such dread. He needed to find out what's going to happen. Is he going to win this war or not? So far, before this, he had Samuel to tell him what's going to happen. Now he has no one to tell him what's going to happen. He's lost. So he finds this woman. His men find this woman for him. And she is scared stiff. She knows the king is after all these witches and wizards trying to get rid of the, the, the black magic from the country. And she makes him promise in God's name that he won't harm her. Now, she doesn't know that he's sore. She can Maybe she has some kind of premonition. And he goes to this uh, witch, the witch of Endor, which is two words in Hebrew, Endor. And uh, he asks her to raise up the soul of Shmuel the prophet, Samuel the prophet. So again, the only one he trusts is Samuel. He wants her to raise up the soul of Samuel. And here we have this interesting discussion among the commentaries. Uh, So first of all, let's read the Torah. The Torah says, yes, She did raise up the soul of Samuel. Let's see this. First, Shaul promises her, in the name of God, nothing will happen to her. And the woman said, who shall I raise up for you? Raise up the soul of Samuel, the prophet. And the woman saw Shaul. She cried out with a loud cry. And she said to Shaul. Why have you cheated me? And you are the king of Israel, Shaul. So the question is, how does she know that he was Shaul? So she said, the commentary say normally when the soul comes up, comes up upside down, because it's magic. So it comes up upside down from the ground. But she saw the soul of Shmuel coming up right way around. So why is he coming right way around? She figured out it must be in honor of the king. So she knew that Shaul was the king. And Shaul asked her, what does he look like? They wanted to find out if he really saw her. And uh, and she said that he was an old man and he was wearing this famous waistcoat, this famous uh, jacket that his mother had made for him. Remember, we talked about how Hannah had made this waistcoat, this coat for Shmuel. And every year she would bring a new coat. And he was wearing this coat. And when he, Shaul heard this, he fell to the ground and he bowed to Samuel the prophet. And Shmuel said to Shaul, why have you troubled me to bring me up? And Shaul said, I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. The Philistines are coming to make a war. Hashem has left me and doesn't answer many anymore. I have no prophets. And even in dreams, Hashem never answered me. I don't know what to do. And Shemuel says, why are you asking me? You know, God has left you. You know already that God has left you. You're not. You're going to be finished as the king. I told you already. And we asked Hashem, look, Hashem adi. Hashem will do to you what Hashem has told in my hands. Hashem will rip the kingship from your hands. He'll give it to your friend David. First time that said David, his name, that now Shaul knows for sure. David, he already knew this, that David is going to be his rival. Hashem is going to give the kingship to David. Why? You didn't do what Hashem said. You didn't you didn't uh, take vengeance on Amalek as Hashem had told you to, and Hashem now is going to put you into the hands of the Philistines with the people of Israel, with you, all your troops. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Shmuel says, come back. Tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Well, that's good and bad. The bad is, be with me means in the next world. But be with Shmuel, that means in the next world. They're going to be at a very high level. Shaul and his three sons are going to die in this war. The next day, tomorrow, after this episode, and this is the message from Ishmael: you're going to die in this war, you and your three sons, and you're going to be with me in the highest levels of Gan Eden, the garden of Eden paradise. You're going to be with me. So here is a very good, nasty prediction. The nastiness is they're going to die. Shaul and his three sons are going to die in the war. But the good part is they're going to be with Samuel the prophet in the highest levels of Gan Eden. This death of Shaul is going to be his kapara. Kapara means atonement. It's going to be atonement for destroying the city of Noah, for Iraq, and and all the other crimes, whatever he did against David, everything, and Shaul is going to die, but he's going to be expiated for all his sins. He's going to die with a clean slate, with all his mitzvot intact. He's going to be with Shmuel the next day. Also, we're going to see that one of the merits of Shaul was, he could have run away. He didn't run away. He went with his sons. He knew what's going to happen. He went with his sons to the war with his intention that he should be atoned for for all sins. Okay. So that's it. Shmuel gives this bad news. The good news the bad news. Shmuel goes away. The soul goes away. And now the woman is very concerned for Shaul's welfare. Shaul was on the ground. He went down to bow down to Samuel. And uh, the witch is very worried about Shaul's welfare. He looks very pale. He hasn't eaten for a whole day. She says, you're not allowed to leave here until you eat. You need to eat. I'm going to cook you a special meal. That's what Jewish witches, by the way, they had very good cooking. Uh, make a nice chicken soup. No, no not really. Uh, meat. I'm going to cook meat and matzah. So Rabbi said, why matzah? Because she didn't have time to make bread. She was in a bad state. So she gave him some best meat and matzah. And he was semi-revived. He semi-revived. He was very weak. He was fasting and praying all day. And uh, she made him this meal. And he survived. He got stronger. And he goes to fight against the Team. And uh, the Jews are gathered over there in the Valley of Yisrael. In the Israel Valley. Not Israel with an S with a Z. Israel Valley. And uh, and they, they had sent away David and his men. They didn't trust them. And now they're going to have this fight, this tremendous fight with Shaul HaMelech. So we have a couple of issues over here. Number one issue is, how could Shaul, King Saul, go to a witch? And number two, okay, we said it's backwards to the wall. But number two is, do witches really exist? They're going to Rambam, witches don't exist. How, what happened over here? So there's a lot of different commentators over here, a lot of different uh, debates. Um, what is going on over here? So, the Radak, or David Kimchi, one of the famous commentators, brings down a big discussion amongst the Geonim. The Geonim were the rabbis in Babylon, Babel, Iraq today, who were, the, the, uh, who were after the rabbis of the Talmudic era. So, you have the Tanaim, the Tanaim were rabbis in the Mishnah in Israel, the Amoraim were rabbis in Israel, and in Babylon. The Talmud Bubli, the Babylonian Talmud was written, and the rabbis after them were called the Geonim. Now, the Geonic period lasted uh, through around the 8th, 9th, and 10th centuries CE. The Geonic period was a 300-year 300 period, 300-400-year period, and these Geonim were geniuses. They were the descendants of the editors and the writers of the Talmud Bubli, the Babylonian Talmud, which was a massive work. So therefore, they bring the discussion to bear on this topic of who this woman was. So what happens? So uh, there's a big debate. Hagaon Rabbi Shmuel Bar Hofni, he says all these actions of this woman were all trickery. They were all trickery. And this is the Rambam's perspective, based on this that there's no such thing as witchcraft. There is no such thing as magic. It's all trickery. So he says. This old all trickery. And uh, the Shmuel never spoke to Shaul. It was not Shmuel at all. He said all these witches had someone hiding in the closet or underground who would uh, lend their voice, their ventriloquist, and pretend to be speaking in the name of the person who this person wanted to speak to. So Shaul really believed in a Shmuel Hadavi. And another Gaon, Rabbi Shmuel Gaon, appropriate, appropriate name, Shmuel Gaon, adds, even though the Gemara seems to say that really she was a witch and it really was Shmuel, their opinions do not, were not accepted because it's against the intellect. Interesting. So intellect, these are the intellectual philosophers, Rambam, etc., who do not believe witchcraft, and therefore they, these two great rabbis the Geonim, uh, Greek, that it was not true what she did she brought a fake and Shaul was talking to this fake and the fake tells him he's going to die and he's really going to die it's psychosomatic he really believes he's going to die so he didn't bother fighting the war imagine if he'd avoided going to this witch he might have thought i'm going to win he's going to put all his best efforts into winning the war instead of which his morale was gone he went to the witch he thought it was Shmuel telling him he's going to lose and he really lost. So unfortunate to go there. The second opinion is obviously that it was a true prophecy. This is Rav Sadia Gaon, of Hai Gaon, great Gaonim towards the end of the Gaonim period, towards the beginning of Rambam's period, and uh, towards the tenth end of the tenth century, and they say this this really happened that she did bring Shmuel out from his grave, the soul of Shmuel, and Shmuel really did talk to King Saul. Um, but not through the power of the witch. Now, this is a very interesting difference. They don't believe in witchcraft. It doesn't exist. They follow the Rambam. The Rambam came after them. (laughs) Rambam follows them. But it was Saul himself who had some powers of prophecy. We find that Saul prophesied twice before. When Shmuel was alive, the first time was when he was just appointed king, and he uh, went in with a, a group of prophets and started prophesying. And later on, when he went to Samuel to capture David, who was hiding with Samuel, and that's how Samuel uh, persuaded him not to do anything, by making him a prophet. He started prophesying, as well, so we find that uh, Saul had this latent prophetic ability. And that's what they say when he went to see the witch. His latent prophetic ability actually came out, and he actually spoke. He had this last prophecy. He actually spoke to samuel the prophet who told him the truth this is a prophecy from god he's going to die the next day in this battle with the philistines and then he's going to be his soul will be with samuel in ganedin in these higher worlds above so this is the last prophecy so these rabbis say the witch we did not make this happen it was the prophecy latent in king saul that came out when he went to see the witch interesting so he really wanted to see, speak to samuel Hashem says, you want to speak to Samuel so badly, you'll go to the witch. But you know what? I'm going to make you a prophet for the last time. And Samuel's going to actually talk to you. So beautiful, I, th- I love this explanation. This is a great explanation. We don't believe in witchcraft. We do believe in prophecy. And it wasn't the witch who caused Samuel to come. It was the latent prophecy inside Saul for the last time he had a prophecy. And he sees the prophet Samuel, he raises his soul, and he has this message for the last time from God himself. That he's going to die the next day. It's going to be a kaparavrim, atonement. And he's going to uh, go to the world to come. So that is basically the story of the witch. Now we come to the next section. So did he do the right thing or not? So we have Midrashim who praised King Saul for going to this witch. Now it's very strange. Why would they praise King Saul? So Midrash says in Breshit Rabbah, in Prasha Noach, that King Saul was compared to the three great rabbis in the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, those who had thrown themselves in the fiery furnace and not bowed down to the idol. And so it seems like over here, Saul was compared to them. And uh, even though he went to the witch, so you see he was a great man and he didn't follow the ways of desirous ways. He controlled himself, his desires, and uh, he went to the which he said that shaul went he listened to the, the 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 advice of samuel and with this merit he was went to this part, portion of samuel in the world to come in other words he was so attached to samuel he was such a big study he was so attached to the prophet samuel it's interesting if you're attached to someone great you're going to be pulled up by that person. If your rabbi is such a great person, obviously you're going to be pulled up by that person. His rabbi, his prophet was Samuel and he desired Samuel so badly that was uh, considered a mitzvah on his level and he died and he went into the area of Samuel in Gan Eden. Okay, so this is interesting. Rabbi Yochanan says all the prophets prophesied when they were alive. Samuel prophesied even after his death. As we see over here, uh, that uh, Samuel told David, uh, Shaul that he's going to die, and he should uh, uh, it 's going to be a big copper for him, so uh, interesting. so here we have positive aspects that uh, Shmuel Navi is actually prophesying after his death, so it 's very similar to what Sa what he says that is a prophecy the latent prophecy inside Saul, so Samuel had left some vestige of himself inside King Saul to be come out later as prophecy at this time. However, there are other opinions that don't really praise Saul for this, but it was like he's excused. He was anus, which means he was forced in a sense. He really wanted to know what's going to happen, and he had no other options around. He was forced to go. Anyway, that's a uh, big discussion. My, my opinion is humble opinion is that if he wouldn't have tried this, and he wouldn't have known the future... Maybe he would have fought better. Maybe he wouldn't have been killed. I think it's, uh, it's uh, psychosomatic. He, he had this prophecy. He's going to die. And he fulfilled the prophecy. You're going to see. Literally filled, fulfilled his prophecy. He fell on his own sword. It says that the, the war was going badly for him. It sees the Philistines closing around him. His soldiers were being killed. And what does he do? He falls on his sword. Terrible thing. And we have another big discussion over here. Is suicide the suicide of King Saul allowed or not? Now, well, number one is, even when he fell on his sword, he wasn't successful. You know, this is really tough. Sometimes a person has no mazal. His mazal is so bad, even if he tries to jump off the roof, he can't even follow through. So Saul's mazal, his, his luck was so bad, he tried his best to kill himself And you know what happened? Nothing. He couldn't even kill himself. He fell on the sword. He was wounded. And he tells his armor bearer, please finish me off. I don't want to fall into the hands of the Philistines. So please finish me off. And the armor bearer, who happened to be an Amalekite, is only too happy to follow the king's ruling. And he finishes him off. And that was the tragic end of King Saul. And we have another big discussion over here among the rabbis. Is he allowed to kill himself? Was he allowed to kill himself? Was he not allowed to kill himself? And uh, some authorities say, yes, we see here that if a person thinks that they're going to be tortured by their enemy, and it's going to be a chilul Hashem, then a person is allowed to commit suicide. But you know what? We Jews are very much anti-suicide. We're very much, the Torah says, bahem, you will live through them and not die through them. So there's only three cardinal sins for which a Jew is allowed to die, for adultery, imo- for idolatry, and murder. Three things not to commit, we're allowed to give our lives, but there's other things as well, obviously it's very complicated, this issue is very complicated, and there's a whole big discussion over here, I'm not going to go into the whole discussion, is suicide allowed or not, and in certain situations we see, some people want to learn from the story of King Saul, A person thinks they're going to be tortured, they're not going to be able to resist and they're gonna, it's going to cause him, tremendous khilul Hashem, the king or leader of Klai is going to be tortured. He's going to be a prisoner on display for everyone to see, which is what the Philistines would have done to King Saul if they would have captured him. And it would be a tremendous khilul Hashem and therefore he was allowed to do what he did. Anyway, whatever he did, he didn't really do it. He didn't really commit suicide. He tried to, but in the end, he told his armor bearer to kill him, which was done. And when the news got back, the armor-bearer himself, went to tell David the good news. Why? It's good news. Your enemy, Saul, is dead. And I happen to be the one who killed him. And here the Gemara says he brought this the tefillin of Shaul to show that this was really Saul who was dead. And David obviously had no mercy on this boy who had killed Saul. Number one, he was the Messiah of Israel. He was the anointed Messiah of Israel. And number two is there's no right the king says, kill me. You have no right to follow through and kill the anointed king of Israel. So therefore, he he, he was the one who capital punishment for this Amalekite who killed King Saul. But there's tragic ending. This is the tragic ending of King Saul. I just want to talk a bit about this, the righteousness of Saul. Oh, we just think of Saul. Saul went a bit crazy in his old age. And that's some of the countries. They say he had this disease later on in his life when the spirit of God left him of depression, um, and, but he was such a righteous man. Let's just talk about this. Number one is, we know that later on in our history, in the Megidah Esther, in the story of Purim, Mordechai, mm-hmm. a Yehudi, Ish-Yemini, Ben Yair, Ben Shemi, Ben Kish, Ish-Yemini. He was the descendant of Kish, who happened to be the father of Saul. So, Mordechai, you would find a great Jew, is a descendant of Saul, And later on who's going to save the Jews from Haman, the Amalekite descendant, um, and Mordecai is going to dispatch him. So we find the story continues, a descendant of King Saul has to fight against the descendants of Amalek, which Saul happened not to fulfill this mitzvah of destroying Amalek, and had to continue in following generations But the descendants of King Saul against Amalek, which was successful in that Orichai gets rid of Haman and a lot of his descendants, obviously not all of them. Okay, so the Amalek just keeps on going. So one of the great things of Saul is he did educate his children. And we're going to see one of his grandchildren, uh, Yonatan's son, Mephibosheth, is a big rabbi, and eventually one of his descendants continue in this, in as Mordechai Yehudi and the story of Purim. Number two, we find that it says that Shaul had three sons, Yonatan, Avina and Malkishua. and he had two daughters, Merav and Michal. Unfortunately, these three sons died in the, in the fight with the last fight with the Philistines. Unfortunately, tragedy. I wish Yonatan would have lived on. And so did David and David and cried for his friend Yonatan. However, Jonathan had a son, Mefiboshet, and that, thank God, he's gonna go back. He's gonna sit on David's table by David, and David's gonna support him all his life. We're gonna talk about coming weeks. And uh, that was how David repaid Jonathan for his friendship. He looked after Jonathan's son uh, till his old age. And okay, but there was another son who survived. His other son survived, um, who was. Ishboshet or Ishbal, he had two names, Ishbal or Ishboshet, and he was protected by the general Avner Benin, who apparently survived this fight with the Philistines, and uh, that's uh, the descendants of Saul. So he had a few descendants left, but his other grandchildren are going to be killed by the Gibeonites, which we're going to talk about probably next week. Okay, so it says that uh, the Talmud says that Shaul was a big tzaddik. He was a very mighty warrior, he fought against the Philistines many times. In the end, they killed him, and he was killed. And Nava, he had tremendous humility. He didn't want to be the king. He ran away. He hid in the vessels. He had tremendous righteousness. It says when he became the king, the Talmud says, Rav says, he never even tasted the taste of sin. So when he was a king, he was totally innocent. And uh, he was very careful with mitzvot. He had destroyed all the magicians and the wizards. We see this in the section we read today. There was only one left in Israel. Apparently, there were thousands before that. So Shaul was punctilious and following his mitzvot. He was a baishan. He was embarrassed. He was. Uh, there was. Uh, rabbis always praised this trait of becoming embarrassed because then a person will not sin. So a person has this baishanut, which is uh, this trait of being embarrassed easily. Shaul was embarrassed very easily, and he would. Uh, was concerned of not, of not doing the wrong thing. And uh, Shaul, so of well, course, had many good qualities. And that was his epitaph. He had many good qualities. And we know that he made it into Ganedin, which is a prize reserved for the greatest that we praise as but all would all get this prize of being Ganedin. Halavai will be in the same area as Shua Halavi. That'd be a great uh, bonus. Okay, so David Amalek hears this terrible news. He had just gone to chase the Amalekites. The story goes that he went back to chase the Amalekites, and, uh, and this is this is uh, he got back his wife and his children and his all his men's wives and children, all his uh, belongings. And then he hears his bad news, and this is where the story continues in Samuel two. So the book of Samuel is divided into two parts. Don't ask me why. It was done by the Christians so that they could argue with the Jews. They could have these disputations. They ordered the chapters in the Tanakh, and they split the book of Samuel into two parts. So here we are now in Samuel 2, chapter 1, after the death of Shaul, and David comes back, smiting the Amalekites, comes back to the city of Ziklag, which eventually is interesting. Uh, the city of Ziklag was given to him by the Philistines, and he, took, he never gave back. He never gave it back. Even after he became the king of Israel, he incorporated Siglade into the tribe of Judah. So from that time on, Siglade, which was before that uh, city of the Philistines, maybe one of the cities they conquered, was given to David by the Philistines and he kept it. And good, good. So it was on the third day he came back and this armor bearer of Shaul comes with his clothes all ripped and uh, dirt on his head. And when he comes to David, he falls down on the ground and he bows down. And David says, "Where are you coming from? Who are you?" And he said, "I came from the camp of the Jews of Israel. I ran away from the camp of the Jews." And David says, "What happened? So did a lot of people fall? Did the people run away from the war? How is Shaul? How is Jonathan, his son? They died. So he had this he already this kind of knowledge, foreknowledge somehow." He had this inkling that something happened. Obviously, when he sees this man running away from the war and sees his condition, he knew that the war was lost. The boy said, I went up to Har Gilboa. That's where Shaul's last battle was. Har Gilboa, the mountain of Gilboa. And there Shaul, Lishana al and Shaul was resting on his spear. You know, Shaul tried to kill himself. He fell on his spear and uh, his chariots and all. His ca- captains were all dead. And I saw, and he, and he said, Who are you? And I said to him, I'm, a, I'm an Amalekite boy. you may a lie. I'm not a lie. Come here and kill me. Because I know I'm not going to live. And the Philistines are going to catch me. So I took the sword and I killed him. And I brought his sword over here. So King David ripped his clothes. All the people who were with King David, you can see their uh, first fealty was to Saul and even though Saul had chased them and tried to kill them, they still had uh, they still cared for the King of Israel, the king of Israel, and his army, a terrible tragedy. they ripped their clothes and they eulogized and they cried, and they fasted to the night on because of the, the story of the death of Shaul, the death of Jonathan, and all the people of Israel who had killed that day and the house of Saul, who had fallen to the sword. And David starts questioning this boy, who are you, where are you from? He says, I am an Amalekite. Uh, How come you weren't scared to put your hand on the anointed one of God? And David tells one of his men, quickly, kill him. And David tells him, your your blood is on your head, because you yourself admitted that you killed the Messiah of God. And then we have this uh, tremendous eulogy and dirge that David composes uh, for, on the death of Saul and his sons. Terrible! You can read this yourself. It's a, a very sad dirge, a eulogy for Shaul and his sons, um, on chapter chapter two of sorry chapter one of Samuel two. And I'm going to end off over here, but I want to end off on a better note. So what happens is Shaul is now dead. Abner ben somehow his general, survives. And Abner ben appoints Saul's last son, Ishbosheth to be the king, the new king of Israel. It's amazing. So Saul is dead, but there's still a descendant of Saul alive, who is now the new king of Israel. David goes back. He's not hunted anymore. He goes back uh, to his homeland, uh, Judah, uh, the tribe of Judah. They appoint him as their king in Hebron. So Hebron now is the capital city of Judah. The king of Judah now is Hebron is, uh, is David. He starts with his kingship as the king of one tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Judah. The other tribes are under Saul's surviving son Ishbosheth. Which we're going to see. This state of affairs is going to last seven years, and finally David is going to be the king of all of Israel. So next week, please stay in tune. Please tune in next week, same time, same channel. We're going to talk about King David his illustrious reign of David and the messianic line, Bezrat Hashem, till today. We're still waiting for the descendant of David to take over Bezrat Hashem from uh, these, uh, these uh, temporary leaders which we have today. And Hashem should give us the real, uh, the real leader, the real guts, and the real uh, uh, direct line to God, Bezrat Hashem. We'll see it next You've week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.